Hey, I'm Pastor Dave Ferguson. Welcome to Crosswalk Chattanooga's Weekend Teaching Podcast. We're glad you're with us. Welcome to worship at Crosswalk across all of our campuses. My name is Pastor Dave Ferguson. I'm the lead pastor at Crosswalk Chattanooga. So, by the way, in Chattanooga, if you knew that I was leaving town and you thought this was going to be a little bit of a break, so sorry for that. I'm here as I spend some time out here at Redlands Campus, Pastor Tim and myself working together, and I'm going to be teaching here this weekend as well. But it's good to be with you as we continue our uncomfortable series, Uncomfortable Unity, Uncomfortable unity. Um, I'm going to take you to some of the last moments before Jesus was crucified. And he is in the Garden of Gethsemane. He is, he is really experiencing the onset of his decision, the death on the cross and everything that's going to happen there. And he is praying. You know this prayer. He's praying to his father. And in John chapter 17, John records, Jesus looks up to heaven And he says, Father, the hour has come. This is the moment. This is what this has all been about. A little later in the chapter, he'll say it this way. I'm now, now, Father, I am coming to you. This is is go time. And so in this moment, he has a dying wish. And here's what it is. You know it. I'm praying, not just for these disciples that are here with me asleep off to the side, but for all who will ever believe in me through their message too. So he's praying and he is asking for a dying wish from his father for the disciples, but also for you and for me. What is that wish? What is he hoping for? I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. In fact, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. And this is so interesting to consider as we talk about uncomfortable unity today, that the whole journey, the whole mission of Jesus to demonstrate love that God so loved you and me that we give his own son that he is sent from God, all of this comes down to a single proof. And the proof is that any of this is true. It's crazy to think. The proof of that would be our unity. And that ought to make you uncomfortable. It makes me uncomfortable to consider not only that it's Jesus dying. If you could just have one thing, Jesus, what would you want? What I'd want is that the, the Crosswalk Church in Chattanooga, in Redlands, in Portland, in Melbourne, and Los Angeles and Houston and Reno and all across all the places where our love well groups are, that they would be unified, that they would be one. In fact, maybe if they can't be one in this kind of way, maybe it disproves my love. That's crazy. And it's uncomfortable. And I'm curious, uh, what makes you comfortable? I've got some things that make me particularly comfortable. I, I'll tell you this, at the end of a long day, nobody's around but my wife now in our empty nest, and it's me and my wife, and there's a pair, there's a pair of sweatpants that is comfort itself for me. I, it's not for other people. That This pair of sweatpants is not something I would wear around. And my slippers, my slippers and sweatpants, and I'm in comfort. For some of us, it's if we could get to the ocean and hear the sounds of the waves. Or maybe it's in front of a crackling fire in the mountains. Could be the, the certain comfort food, or maybe it's even the smell. Certain, 
holiday aromas or the smell, the taste, the warmth of a good cup of coffee. I'll tell you this, I, I get extra comfortable I, I, and uncomfortable. I'm riding around in a couple of rental cars these days out here in Southern California and I can't get the seat adjusted right. And it makes me uncomfortable. I like my car with my non-tampered with seat set up for whatever the weirdness of my body is requiring. That's what makes me feel comfortable. My own bed, my own shower. I love these things. And when I don't have them, when I'm on the road, when I'm somewhere else, I'm just always a little off, a little uncomfortable. I was thinking about our desire to be comfortable, to gravitate to the things that make us comfortable and being uncomfortable. And I, I began to wonder, I was thinking, I want to ask you this question. Do you suppose that it's actually Jesus' goal to make me comfortable? Is that what he actually came to do is to make me comfortable? I question, I question that that's true because if we think about uncomfortable worship, we might be even wondering, well, could we get to comfortable worship? And sometimes that's exactly how we make our choices around worship and around church are the things that would make us most comfortable. I, I feel really good about the fact that we're admitting something here and that is if we go where God leads us, if we follow his calling, it's probably not, certainly not always, and maybe never entirely comfortable because... It's not just me and my sweatpants and my perfectly adjusted car seat. You get involved and she gets involved and he gets involved and we and Jesus in that moment, dying wish would say, oh, that you could be together, that you wouldn't just all drift apart, that you would be my body and that you'd even be willing to be uncomfortable. You know, it's interesting to me that <clears throat> just a couple of days before Jesus would say, oh, I pray for unity, we'll find him uniquely in the temple. I'll take you there in Mark. It's, you can find it in the other gospels as well. But Jesus comes to Jerusalem, and this is probably Monday of that week. He comes to Jerusalem, and he goes into the temple, and after looking around carefully at everything, he left because it was late in the afternoon. That's an interesting little aside. He left because it was late in the afternoon. Unless he is bothered by something he thinks he needs to do something about, which is what's about to happen, and he just decides, you know what, I don't have enough time to fix all that is broken here right now. And so he goes on. Jesus enters the temple again, and he begins to drive out the people buying and selling. You know about this. Buying and selling animals, the, 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 the temple of God, the, the church, it was just cluttered with stuff. A bunch of barriers and requirements to how worship had to go. It was uncomfortable, for sure. But Jesus didn't actually come bringing comfort into that situation. He actually flips over tables tosses money around, drives people out and says, you know what, look, I'm, I'm calling for unity, but it's the kind of unity that sometimes only can come with tables that get flipped over. And Jesus actually is a Jesus of table flipping, really. He doesn't come just to bring peace, but change, and frankly, discomfort. And I think we could ask the question, because I, I, um, I love to get to comfortable places. You have to wonder, as Jesus meets me here today, as Jesus sits with you in your seat today, wherever you're experiencing this moment, 
What is it that Jesus would love to flip over in your life? How about us as a church, as a family? What would be the barrier to him that he would push aside, that he would turn over, that he would drive out? And is there some little key to this as we consider uncomfortable worship? I'd like to take to you, if you don't mind, a second Corinthians. In the first chapter, and in the third verse, it says this, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Be careful, because it might sound to you like he's inviting you to slip on the slippers. You're going to be able to have that, that, that comfort food that's just the way your mom used to make it, and everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be perfect. Everything's going to be fine, except that it goes on into the very next verse, 4. This Jesus, this God of all comfort and compassion who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can be, so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. That's almost so many comforts in a row there to get it kind of confusing, but the one who comforts us so that we can comfort others. But did you catch it? He comforts us in all our troubles. There are a variety of ways you could unpack the Greek there. You could read it, he comforts us in the midst of trouble. As if to say, don't expect that since he comes in with this word comfort, that he's just going to simply be comfort. No, it's comfort in trouble. And you could arrange the language to say, comforts us even through trouble. Wow, that's uncomfortable. Comforting us through discomfort, it seems like a paradox, and that's so Jesus, isn't it? And so, we're called to comfort other people with these same kinds of notions, for just as the sufferings of Christ flow over into our lives, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. And so you have this Jesus of both suffering and comfort, and maybe it is because we are with him that the suffering can be comforted even and that the uncomfortable, there is some hope that even will someday be the sweatpants and slippers. But right now, our, our discomfort is frankly going to be pretty strong. It'll be comfort in the midst of trouble and difficulty and tables that need to be flipped over and one wonders if in fact today's table flipping of Jesus is to seat me next to somebody that isn't exactly who I'd pick. Have you noticed Jesus invites people into his family that aren't who you would pick, that aren't who I would pick? We can be a little tempted to box out and to just surround ourselves with the people that make us most comfortable, the people that we know well, the people who we get along with, the people we vibe with, maybe the situations and the styles that we are most comfortable with. And Jesus says, no, we're going to flip some of that over. We're going to take away barriers to other people and we're going to open arm walk through our community. And that's going to be uncomfortable. And by the way, there will also be trouble. There's always going to be trouble. I can comfort you in the midst of trouble, but that's not just taking away the trouble. Well, 1 Corinthians also says this, I appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, by the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ, to live in harmony with each other. Another great word for unity, harmony. 
to live in unity, to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions in the church. Rather be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. And for some in our faith community, it's not been all that long. We've had a lot of vibrant conversations about being of one mind and what being of one mind even would look like, what unity actually consists of. So what does it mean to be of one mind? How, how much should we insist on this for a faith tradition that claims that we are non-creedal? What does that even mean? Well, is it about being one-minded of every little thing that we are all in agreement and kick anybody out who isn't? No, it's fascinating to consider one-mindedness in the extreme. Uh, Brene Brown, in her book, Braving the Wilderness, points out some data she noticed through the studies of others and then wrote about in this challenging discourse on being brave enough to stand alone in a world that is so divisive and polarized. And so she points out some of the data 1976, for instance. In 1976, this is well before some of you were born, but in 1976, less than 25% of Americans lived in a county in which the elections at that time in 1976, the presidential elections, there was a landslide. So let me say that again a little bit differently. Maybe we'll catch it. In 1976, less than a quarter of Americans lived in a county in which the presidential election resulted in a landslide where the vast majority, like 80% of the members of that county that voted, voted all for the same person. Interestingly, by the time we hit 2016, at that point, it was Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump that were running against each other. So remember, 1976, less than 25% of Americans lived around people who were going to vote the same way in a landslide fashion. By the time you hit 2016, over 80% of all the counties in America resulted in a landslide for one candidate or the other. In other words, if you lived in most anywhere in America, you were living around people who were going to vote the exact same way you do politically. And one might think that's kind of one-mindedness, right? One might think that should lead to a lot of great things, that you could find a place to be around people who think the exact same way that you do. Tragically, though, during this exact same period of time, the data supports that while we became more monolithic in our voting patterns per community, our loneliness levels track doubling or more in levels of loneliness. Our depression levels and some of the mental health issues we've talked about recently, shoot, skyrocket. This seems kind of counterintuitive, and I know there can be other reasons for this kind of data, but you would think that being in communities where everybody thinks the same way would maybe be healthier, and this is just absolutely not true. And there are a lot of studies to tell us that we're actually healthier when we're around people who have diverse opinions, who think differently, who can challenge our way of thinking and maybe even step in for Jesus in a moment or two and flip some tables of our assumptions, our prejudices for sure, around. So I think it's worth noting that there is a, an important and incredible difference between unity and uniformity. 
I think uniformity, really, I, I, well, we think about some of the arguments that crop up in the New Testament. For instance, this may not be something you've argued about terribly recently, but there was a pretty vigorous argument among Christians in the New Testament over whether a Christian coming out of Judeo uh, faith, many, whether or not they needed to be circumcised or not. And there was a, a big faction, a big group of individuals in Jerusalem that felt like, you know what, you're not actually following Christ. This is a do or die, make or break situation. You definitely need to be circumcised. It, you must be circ- or you're not one of us. And this is an issue of unity and identity, and it's super important. And Paul comes along and says, no, no, he says some pretty, pretty crazy, even sometimes crass things about, you know what, goodness, if you guys are so bent on circumcision, you know, mutilate yourselves to your heart's content, but we're not going to do it. And in fact, fascinatingly, by the end of this whole argument, the church in Jerusalem and the church of the Gentiles that Paul was leading, those, the Christian church decided, you know what, we can be a unified Christian faith and not do this the same way. So we're going one direction and you go another direction and we'll just be fine and we won't judge each other and we're going to be unified but not uniform. And throughout the New Testament, Paul seems to run into this repeatedly where someone brings up an argument, an issue, Hey, let's talk about speaking in tongues. Is that good? Is that bad? Which should you do? Yes or no? And Paul pushes against the yes or no stuff pretty hard often and says, you know what? I think there might be room for these discussions, especially if we specialize in being people who love one another, who are sold out to Jesus Christ. Paul seems to suggest that in fact, if we are completely submitted to Jesus, we can, we can, we can ride in the same car together. We can, we can show up at the same meal together. We can sit beside each other, be a part of the same community. We can survive differences of opinion. Sometimes we may need to temper how we address those differences of opinion or behavior. You know, uniformity usually, really, I was thinking about this, uniformity primarily is based on following through with very clear requirements. So, so uh, do you go to this kind of a place or do you not? Well, what, what day of the week and what do you do there when you get there? You know, all the people of a certain sort will all line up with the same checks and follow through with some very clear, specific requirements. And that's a mark of uniformity. You can see that people are together in terms of uniformity by looking at them from the outside. You don't need to check on the inside for uniformity. The interesting thing is that uniformity just often is going to require that there is someone who tells us the thing we should do. As a pastor, this makes me extraordinarily uncomfortable because sometimes people think that's me. I should be the one to tell them what they should do about a certain subject. This idea that there be a kind of an arbiter who sorts all that out and we, there are elements of Christian faith who have a singular person at the top of some kind of pyramid who actually has the responsibility and the role to tell people what the answer is and what should be done and it's a human being and that's quite frightening and 
Boy, woe to us in our own faith structure if we do that. Whether it be in a local church that decides whatever the pastor says goes and anything the pastor hasn't commented on, we're just confused about. Or if it would be leaders in our church, administrators along the way that help sort out whether you're in or out based on real clear codes of conduct, that gets a little scary. On the other hand, unity, unity at its core is based on trust. It's something that happens from the inside out. I think about my own family, my kids, my wife, myself. There's a lot that we disagree on. There are behaviors that we have in opposition to one another. I know families who have decided that we're going to be a family or not based on whether you will do what I say. I'm so pleased that in my family, we've decided we are family based on trust, based on our willingness to walk with each other when we agree and when we don't. There's another occasion that Paul is sifting and sorting through arguments, and at this time it it has to do with what food you eat and stuff offered to idols and this kind of thing. And, and Paul in Philippians chapter 3 says this. He says, look, let, let's be spiritually mature here and let's agree. <laughs> Which if you just stop there, that makes it sound like spiritual maturity is that we all agree. And usually somebody marches in to say, and that you agree with me. But Paul goes on, if you do disagree on some point... I believe God will make it plain to you. And you might also think that what Paul is saying is, if by chance we disagree on some point, I believe if you pray hard enough that God will make it plain to you that I am right. No, I don't think that's what he's saying. I think what he's saying is, I'm I'm worshiping the same God. I am in love with the same God. I am submitted to the same Jesus. And as we care about one another, even though we disagree, if we love Jesus together and you are praying over it and I am doing the same thing, I believe God works on us in his timing and we're going to be okay. And I, this is part of what I think Paul is saying and I think it's a challenge to me. Dave, hey, as you lead in church, you're going to have a lot of opinions, and people who know me well know I'm, I, I, I can ask me a question about anything. It doesn't matter if I've ever even thought about it before. I've got an answer for you right now. I probably can happily admit that I'm often wrong, but never in doubt. I got an answer for you. And I may think it's super clear to me And wonder why it isn't clear to you, but what Paul is saying is, look, we can be patient with each other. We can be a part of the same community. We don't have to set up all of these tables and all of these requirements and the doves and the sheep and make it so that the only way you can get into where God is is if you you play the game right. Uh, We can be patient. If you're fully submitted to Jesus and I'm fully submitted to Jesus, and we're committed to loving one another, could it be That it's Jesus' responsibility to sort out what food I eat with me. If I'm really submitted to him, Paul seems to suggest, I think he'll he'll do that with you. I don't even know when, but I think he'll do that. And I think that this is what makes unity a bit uncomfortable. Is that we have to be willing 
to live in a little bit of unknown. We probably have to be willing to come off a little less sure of ourselves all the time. A little more willing to listen. One of the things that bothers me, pick, pick out the, the subject of contention in Christianity or in the greater world which Christians would choose to speak into. So often we as Christians, whether it is we're fighting with each other or, or just with non-believers, we'll, we'll take an approach that's really certain, so certain we act as if we don't have really any reason anymore to listen to anyone. We would not even be able to hear a Jesus walk up on us and say, yeah, that's, I need to flip that out of your life because we're so certain. What if one of the greatest shows of unity is that you and I, we listen to each other. We don't bowl each other over. We're patient. We don't actually require that you get in line with my life as much as we would invite you to walk along with me as we seek to be in line with his life. And we can be patient about that. It's uncomfortable. Because actually, and every once in a while somebody will say, you know, this whole idea of love, um, that's the easy way. Now it's a harder way. It'd be just so much easier if there were such a clear list of things that you could just check the boxes. No, it's harder to actually know, I'm going to have to listen to Jesus again today. It doesn't get accomplished and over and done. I believe I will be growing. And in fact, I believe that's part of what discomfort and being uncomfortable is about, is that it's Jesus' way of trying to disinfect and cleanse my life of some of my dysfunction. The truth is, when I'm comfortable, that's, I think, exactly where the enemy of God would choose me to be. Don't even disrupt it. If the Christians are comfortable, shh, don't even disrupt them. Because they don't even know how much they need Jesus when they're too comfortable. What if our being asked to be unified isn't so much about something we can do for God, like this is a gift that we give to God, as much as it is his gift to me, to grow me, to disinfect my life of dysfunction because of the people who will walk in to my life, the people who walk beside me, who can at times be disturbing and jarring and cause me to have to think a little bit. Even sometimes about what I believe. See, I don't think that that makes us fragile. I think it makes us more open to true deep submission to Jesus Christ. Well, again, in Romans chapter 14, Paul's writing, trying to calm some people down who are pretty, pretty worked up about some conversations around standards and food and what you should eat, what you should drink. And he says this, each of us will give a personal account to God. So let's stop condemning each other. He doesn't come down on one side or another. He says, don't condemn. He says, decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer to stumble and fall. Live in that kind of way. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. I wonder how he would write this to us. Don't tear apart the work of God over fill in the blank. And then he says this. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you are doing or there's something right with what you are doing. Why don't I tell you what? 
why don't we keep it to ourselves? <laughs> That's not the Christian way. We're all about shouting to everybody what we believe is wrong with what you are doing, what is right with what I am doing. And Paul says, you know what, maybe let's keep that between ourselves and God. That doesn't mean that there is nothing to share, but maybe it means the first thing should be so obvious out of our lips. And maybe when we get so hyped on the details of the list of do's and don'ts, we actually distract from the most important things, that Jesus came and died to give us a way out of this planet and a future and a hope. And by the way, you don't have to wait until you die. You can start now and you can do that with us because we open our arms wide even when it's uncomfortable. You're welcome here even when I don't understand you. This is the place for you. Across, across all of our campuses if there were only this today how you walk in here or the person you've been praying over that you're worried will never, never get to know Jesus Christ because sometimes of what, how Christians have behaved if we could just really latch on to this idea, this place, we will live our lives as God followers in such a way that others who don't know Jesus would wish they could be a part of this place. I'll just leave you with Romans 15, a lot of Paul today, where Paul says this, just this is a good way to close it. May God, who gives this kind of patience and encouragement, help you live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice, giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you so that God will be given glory. That which would God give God glory in part would be the way we accept one another, the open arms that we gesture to one another. So our campuses today, may we be measured by having the same level of acceptance for others that Jesus has for us. And for that one who came today wondering if this is worth involving yourself in, worth engaging in, and I want you to leave this moment without the exclamation point that Jesus Christ accepts you right where you are. However uncomfortable you feel you are to him or to others, he says, come to me. Come to me. In midst your trouble, I bring comfort, I bring acceptance, I bring forgiveness. And in this we give God the ultimate glory. So Lord, I pray that each one across our campuses today, anyone who's hearing my voice right now, would know how completely you accept us as we submit our hearts to you. That we get in this moment, we get to live a life that is redeemed in you. There's a lot that comes with us. Baggage, habit, failure, shame. 
We're going to bumble our way along, Lord Jesus, so you're going to need to be resilient and say often, you love me and you accept me. And for those of us that have walked a step or two already with you, we pray for boldness to live through the discomfort, to create a harmony, to protect the bruised and the often unaccepted so that they would know there is truly a God who loves them because of the way we love them. In Jesus, we ask for this kind of uncomfortable unity. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this teaching. Consider hitting the subscribe button to stay tuned for next week. If you'd like to support Crosswalk Chattanooga, go to crosswalkvillage.com Chattanooga and click the Give button at the far right of the ribbon at the top. Notice the campus drop-down menu and select Chattanooga. And if you'd like to come and worship with us on a Saturday morning, we would love that. When you do, please say hi to me. I'd love to learn your name.